0: Well, let's give all the women in our life a big hand this morning. Moms, sisters, daughters. And we appreciate these guys, too. Well, last week I got to go down to Georgia and be grandma. Uh, the baby had a procedure. He needed to be in the hospital for the day four, so I got to have my six-year-old and my four-year-old grandson all day long. Do you know I have forgotten what it's like to have a six-year-old and a four-year-old all day long? So my six-year-old grandson says to me, Grandma, did you know there was a first man? And I said, yes. And I know what his name was. You do? Yes, his name was Adam. Grandma, did you know him? (laughs) My second grandson is now my favorite grandson. (laughs) Isn't it fun? I mean, when they're toddlers, they're learning how to get around and touch everything. But when they get to that preschool and first, second grade, they're learning how to process everything. And he was thinking about, you know, did you know there there was a beginning to all this? We all have a history. Whether we know all about it or not, we have a history. We go all the way back and we look back at things and we learn from our history. When the tax season first started, I know that, you know, long days and short nights and when you go to bed dreaming about W-2s and 1099s, it's not a good day, but when you go through that busy kind of season, I knew I wanted to do something special at the end of the season, so I started looking for Hamilton tickets. It took me three months to get them, but I planned a nice way for Dennis and I to get away, go to Chicago, see the play, have just a few days to regroup after the tax season. Now the is great. I cannot imagine our founding fathers using some of the language that the play used. But anyway, that's that's me. Music was great, everything was wonderful, we had a great evening. But walking back to the hotel, Dennis and I both said to each other, you know, I hope people don't take things like that as their only history lesson. Because if we're not careful, history can be redefined by books plays, movies, songs, and we forget what really happened. So it's very important for us not only to know who we are but kind of where we've come from and the part that God has played in us, not only as individuals but as a nation. And I don't care how you wanna redefine it, I don't care how you wanna put it on the table, God had a part in shaping this country and godly men who feared God, had a part in shaping this country. Well, that was also true in the nation of Egypt. You see, there came a king, there came a Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1 that the Bible says a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. You see, this new king denied what was in his past. Anybody that was an Egyptian and knew any history at all would have known there was a time of great famine in the country. They would have known that there was a time that a leader was raised up in Pharaoh's palace that was prepared, that was ready to meet the need of the moment And they would have also known that he was a God-fearing man and not one who worshiped the Egyptian gods. But this king denied everything that was in his past. And when you start to deny where God has brought you from, you know what this king did? He started to panic. He looked around him and he said, these immigrants, are more than we are. There's more of them than there are of us. These Israelites, they're just multiplying everywhere. Everywhere I look, there's an Israelite. And they're going to raise up against us. And our enemies are going to come in. And they're going to side with our enemies. And they're going to overthrow us. And they're going to kill us in our sleep. And he began to panic. And so, instead of making decisions as a king should, he started making decisions out of his panic. And he said to his advisors, we got to stop this. Let's put the Israelites in a place where they're doing the worst jobs, where they're in the worst labor, and let's cut their provisions so that they have to really work hard. And let's, let's oppress them so that my panics don't come to pass. Let's put them in a price of oppression so that they don't rise up against us. So he denied He panicked, and he punished. It wasn't working. They kept multiplying. They kept doing their jobs. They'd go home, and they'd come back the next day and do them again, and this just made his panic worse. So he did what every smart man does. He called on the women. He called the midwives. He called the working girls to come to the palace. And he said, we got to stop this, and you can stop it. So as the girls prepared and put on their aprons to do their jobs, the king says to them, when you go out to do your job, when the Hebrew baby boys are born, I want you to kill them. Don't let them. If it's a girl, let her live. I mean, because what value is a girl? Let her live. But if it's a boy, kill him. And those working girls stood before the king, stood before Pharaoh, and they had a decision to make. Will I honor God on my job, or will I obey something that I know is wrong? Now, we girls know this. Two girls didn't walk out of that palace and just go and do their jobs. They talked about it. Sister... Did you hear what he said? Do you know what he's wanting us to do? He's wanting us to become murderers. He's wanting us not only to become murderers, he's wanting us to become baby killers. Are we gonna do this? I don't know about you, sister, but I'm not. Because these women, we don't really know if they were Egyptian or Hebrew. We do know that they were midwives for the Egyptian women and the Hebrew women. And they looked at each other and they said, you know what? These Hebrew women, we have seen God in their midst. We have seen the hand of God. And they feared God. The scripture says that they honored God. And so they chose to go against a king. They chose to go against a decree. They chose to take a risk and put everything on the line on their jobs on their lives and do what would honor God. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They honored him by honoring God. And God rewarded them. The scripture tells us, so God was kind to the midwives And the people increased and became even more numerous because the midwives feared God. And he gave them families of their own. God rewarded them for being willing to take the risk and honoring him. So this Pharaoh sees all these little baby boys running around town and he calls the midwives back in. And he says, ladies, I thought I told you to kill the baby boys. Well, the girls probably had gotten together and compared their story and they're like, oh, Pharaoh, you know, these Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women. I mean, the Egyptian women, this is an all day affair. You know, we have to be right there with them. These Hebrew women, they just have their babies before we can get to them. Uh, They're strong women. Can I interject a little bit into that? When we are women of faith, there is a strength available to us that is beyond compare. There is a strength that we can raise up as godly women in the moment of of oppression, of pain, in the moment that should be a dark time. God can give us more strength than we can even imagine. Well, Pharaoh sent them back out with the order to kill the babies. But there was another woman on this team. There was a woman who anticipated the birth of her child. Everyone knew, everyone knew what the Pharaoh's decree was. And she waited for the birth of her baby. And I can imagine that as that baby was born, and they realized it was a boy, that the room was silent. Would the midwives obey the decree of the king? Would the midwives take this innocent life and slaughter him before he took his first breath? In my mind, I imagine those midwives very quietly gathering up this newborn baby boy and placing him in his mother's arms and quietly gathering their things and leaving the room. And that mom, as she looked at this baby, held him close and thought to herself, God, this is your child. You have put him in my arms and he's yours. Now, she did what every mom does. We look at our child and we think they're perfect. The scripture says when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch and put it in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. You see, for the first three months of his life, she waited Maybe she waited for God to give her some direction. Maybe she waited, but there was no voice that came from the heavens and told her what to do with this child that she hid. There was no burning bush for Jacobad. That would come later for her son. But there was no burning bush that said to her, this is my anointed one. This is the leader that I have called. He was just a little boy she held in her arms. And she hid him. And she waited. Waited for what? Maybe she didn't know. Maybe she only prayed and held him. God, this is your child. But there came a time when she could no longer hide him. I mean, he's a kicking, squiggling, gurgling little three-month-old. And you can't hide him very well. So she began to prepare. She took a papyrus basket... And I can imagine with every coat, every stroke of the brush, with tar and pitch, as she prepared this child for what she knew she would do to put him into the river and see what God would do. Preparing is not easy. Preparing is hard. Preparing takes a lot of dedication. Preparing takes more work than we ever anticipated. When my kids went back we graduating from high school and getting ready to go to college. i had had a couple of years of college before, when, before they were born. And I looked at my husband and I said, I'm going back to school. I'm going to finish my degree. And he was like, okay, you know, boy, am I in debt. <laughs> so as my kids were finishing high school, I have four kids. I have a full schedule at the church. I've got a full-time job preparing taxes. I'm working at the church office, I'm trying to get kids ready for college and being a wife and a mom and all the things that go in, and I throw in the middle of that, I'm going to college. Do you know you can write really interesting term papers at 2 o'clock in the morning? I have gone back and read some of those term papers. Why in the world I got the grade? The professor must have been grading them at 2 o'clock in the morning. One of my best papers, however, I wrote on our missions trip to San Salvador when we had the youth down there. Angie and Rodney had to take the kids and go up to the mountains that day, so I stayed back at the hotel to write my final term paper on Ronald Reagan. It was a good one. But I'm telling you, by the time that degree finally came, I was exhausted. I was at the point that if I had one more class to take, I don't think I'd have made it. It's hard to prepare. Sometimes God puts us in a situation of waiting, and what he's wanting us to do during that time of waiting is to be preparing so that we're ready when what he has set before us comes about. So Jochebed prepared. She took this little basket, and I imagine she prayed every moment. But the hard part for Jochebed was not the preparation. The hard part came when she had to take this little boy and lay him in that basket and put him in a river. And take that child that she had protected, she had guarded, she had loved, and release him. We were getting ready for general counsel in Phoenix City, Arizona. And took all of our kids with us. Ben had been through a year of college and he just was not happy. He couldn't couldn't find the degree he wanted. And and, you know, we knew change was coming for him, but we had no idea what God was about to do. We went to General Council and they had an exhibit, a display, and one of the exhibits there was James River Leadership College. And Ben visited their booth. While he was there, they talked to him about a degree in film and video, and it was just what he wanted. He had talked about it, but very honestly, we were concerned to send him just anywhere to study film. I didn't know what they'd have him filming. And as a mom, you know, that was important to me. So he visited their booth, they talked to him, he came and got me, and he said, Mom, we need to go talk to them. This is what I want, I wanna go there. So we went, I sat there and talked to them, and they said, we can do this, we have what he needs, we can transfer all of his grades. And I said, well, when does this program start? And they said, in 10 days. And I looked at Ben and said, we have to go find your dad. We found Dennis in the middle of the general Council. drug him down to the booth. We sat there and talked to them within five days. We had done the FAFSA, we had packed a suitcase, we had gone to Walmart and bought sheets and put them in Ben's suitcase because he had none. We changed our plane tickets. We put Benjamin on an airplane from general Council to Springfield, Missouri. And I'm telling you, I was the go-getter mom. I helped type the reports. We found fax machines. We got a FAFSA done online for financial aid. We talked to the college. They gave him a scholarship. And we took him to the airport. And my six-foot-four little baby (laughs) walked down that ramp to get on his plane, and I watched him. And I held it together. I waved, we're so proud of you son. He turned around with that big grin and full beard and waved back and I disappeared onto the plane and I turned around and looked at my husband and fell apart right in the middle of the airport. My baby just got on a plane, and I'm not with him. And I don't need, you know, does he know how to balance a checkbook? Does he know how, you know, I know he knows he has a debit card in his pocket. That didn't take long for him to figure out how to use. Does he know that when the money in that account is gone, it's gone? Uh, You know, all these things are running through your mind, and Dennis just sat there in the airport and held me while I sobbed like a baby and got on our own plane and came home without my baby. You see, it's hard to release that child. Even though we've prepared them, even though we have spent our lives making sure that they're ready for this moment, it's hard to release them into a big wicked world and think, are they protected? Are they ready? Are they prepared? One of my favorite characters in history is Abigail Adams, the wife of a president, the mother of a president. There came a time in her life, her husband was in Paris serving our country, and he sent for his son, John Quincy Adams, to come and be with him. And that mom had to pack a suitcase, had to prepare her son Had to have those last minute talks. Do you know how to manage your money? Do you know how to find your father when you get there? What if he's not at the docks waiting on you? Do you know what to do? And it wasn't in the days of cell phones when she could pick up the phone and say, did you make your connection? She had to take her little boy and put him on a boat and send him across the ocean to meet his father. And the last thing she said to him when she put him on the ship was John Quincy I can hear that, can you? From this moment on, you are accountable to God. It's not my responsibility to keep you straight anymore. From this moment on, every decision you make, everything you do, you're going to be accountable to God for, and you better make good choices. Moms, we need to send our sons and our daughters out of our homes. And say to them, you are responsible to God for your actions. And we need to instill in them when they're young how to prepare and how to make God the center of their life. So that their actions and their choices are good ones. She released that son. She released that baby into the river. But there was another woman on this team, a younger woman, who may have a little bit felt on the sidelines. She was the sister who watched as her mom gave birth to a baby. She watched as midwives chose to let that life live. She watched as a mom hid that baby for three months. And she learned something as she watched. She learned to trust. So that when her mom said to her, Take this basket, take this baby, and go put him in the river. She never questioned. She trusted. Maybe mom knew something she didn't know. Maybe mom was stronger in her faith than the sister was. But at this moment, she trusted. And she responded by taking her little brother... And the scripture says she stood at a distance to see what would happen. This sister stood and watched as she trusted what someone else had told her. But not only did she watch, she anticipated. I don't know what she did. Maybe she hid in the bushes and just watched to see what would happen. Maybe she sat on the banks of the Nile and made another papyrus basket and watched the reeds and the brush as she knew what was there, but no one else did. And you know what I love about this story? The, the Hebrews were given some land called Goshen that wasn't right by the Nile River. And that's where they lived. Well, she didn't hide the baby in Goshen where it would have been among his people. She took him right in to the very place of danger where the enemy was. And she put him in a dangerous place, a river full of crocodiles, and placed him there and watched and anticipated, God, what will you do? She anticipated what will happen. Let's watch and wait. They tell us in history that this place in the Nile wouldn't have been just a muddy bank where you just kind of slide down and, and go and splash in the water. But this was a place that had been prepared for a princess to bathe. It would have had nice smooth stones for her to step gently down into the water. It would have had nice places, maybe fountains that were, were coming up that she would go and bathe. And this smart, trusting, obedient little sister took the baby to that spot and hid him. Had her mom instructed her to do that? Was it her choice? I don't know. But she took it to the very place that could have been the most dangerous. And she responded and she waited. This princess came, the daughter of Pharaoh, as was her practice, to bathe in the River Nile. And as she was there, she heard something. And she sent her servant girl to find out what it was. And what she found was a little baby in a basket in the river. And at that moment, the sister who watched and anticipated and waited, ran out to the princess and boldly said to her, Hey, you got to keep that kid? And the princess looked at this crying baby in the basket and said, you know what, I think I will. She responded out of her compassion. This sister acted when the time was right. When it was time for her to act, she responded quickly and ran to the princess and said, you know, if you're gonna keep this kid, you're gonna need somebody to feed him and we don't have a Walmart down the street, so how about if I go and get a Hebrew mom for you? To nurse this baby and she went back to her own mother and took her mom to the palace and that princess took this baby who was now not a hidden Hebrew child but a baby that was protected by the princess the princess had put her mark on him and she put him back into the arms of his mom and said take care of him And now when this child ran down the street, everyone knew this was the child that was protected by the princess. This child came under the protection of the palace. This child couldn't be touched. But you know what I love about this story? That very thing that that mom had to release to God and say, I trust you with the most important thing God put right back into her arms and he said, I trust you with this important thing. God put this child back in his mom's arms to be nurtured. But there came a time when it was time for the child to go back to the palace. And I imagine mom had told him all the wonderful stories of God's provision. How God had raised up a people. I guarantee you this was one child that knew the story of Joseph. And she sent him back to the princess. So let's talk about this daughter. Let's talk about this princess that just went out to do her princess thing. She had her servants. She had a special place prepared for her. She was a woman of wealth and a woman of means. She was a woman who had need of nothing. And she went down and heard the cry Of a baby and was touched with compassion one translation says she felt sorry for him another translation says she felt deep compassion for this baby that had been cast into the river maybe she thought some mom just to keep her baby from being murdered had just thrown him into the river but that crying baby touched her heart and she responded with a heart of compassion. She not only responded because of the touch on her heart, she provided for this child. His mother was there to care for his needs when he was tiny. Then she took him back into the, to the palace, provided for his education, provided for him everything that a son of Pharaoh would have had. She provided for him because she was a woman that could could do that. She not only provided, but she protected him. You see, the Nile River was more than just a body of water to the Egyptians. The Nile River was worshiped. The Nile River was considered a God. The Nile River was considered the source of life. Are you seeing a pattern here? This child that she scooped up out of the water, she called him Moses, which means I gathered him out of the water. I gathered him out of the Nile. So every time someone asked her, where did you get this child? That's how she responded. I took him out of the water. We had two babies six months apart. Andrew was six months old when God blessed us with a one week old baby boy. I had a six month old and a one week old. I have a blur of time in my life that I remember nothing but nursing and diapers and midnight feedings. And I would go to the store with my little double stroller and people would look at me and look at my boys and they'd go, are they twins? and I'm like, "No, one's 6 months old and one's a week old." And then people, strangers who I did not know, would look at me and say, "Where did you get them?" Okay. If if you know somebody who has an adopted child, don't ask them where they got them, okay? Complete strangers would ask me personal questions, and so in my sweetest southern charm way, I would just respond, it's really not your business. (laughs) But this princess who had this child who was under her care and under her protection, every time somebody saw this princess who wasn't pregnant and now has a baby, and they said to her, where did you get him? She responded, I got him out of the river. I got him out of God. I got him out of the giver of life simply by saying his name, Moses. Where she may have been thinking she was talking about the Nile River, but we know God had a bigger plan. We know God had a bigger purpose than just protecting a child. God was protecting a nation. By putting her covering over him, Every person that saw him, every person that spoke his name, knew this child had been taken out of the river. We are so much a part of a bigger picture. I can imagine that those midwives never dreamed that they were part of saving a nation. I can imagine that that mother never thought, I'm changing the world. I'm changing history, I can imagine that sister maybe didn't know what her part in everything was as she stood and watched, or that woman of means as she used what had been put in her hands to act out of a compassionate heart. You see, we may feel like we're just the working girl, and and do you know what it's like to try and get up and get dressed and get to work and get kids to school and husbands fed and lunches packed? And you know, you're doing really good if you get to wash your face with a baby wipe on the way to the office, you know, in the rearview mirror. Uh, That's about all the primping we get to do because our lives are so full and you may think, God, you can't use me right now. My job is so demanding. I can't do anything. I can't be a part of sisterhood. I can't be a part of what's going on at Woodland. I can't be a part of my kid's school like I want to. God has a place for you on the team. God has a job for you. God has something to do that you can contribute to the team. You may think, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I am surrounded by people less than three feet tall all day long. It is a good day when I get everybody fed, clothed, clean, and back in the bed for the end of the day. I don't even have time, God, for my devotions. God has a place for you on the team. God has a plan for you at whatever phase you're at, you may feel like you're that sister sitting on the sidelines and you're watching all the life that's taking place on the river and it's happening for everybody else except you. And you may think, God, I'm sidelined. I'm just sitting here. I'm just waiting. I'm just kind of watching to see what happens. God has a place for you on the team. You're a part of something bigger than you can even see at the moment. You may be a woman that God has put means and wealth in your hand. You may be a woman, this girl wasn't even a follower of Christ. How dare God use somebody who wasn't a Christian? How dare God use somebody that wasn't fearful of Him or honoring Him? But God took what she had. You may be a woman that God has put some means in your hand that you can say, God, here it is, use me. I have a friend I met a few years ago. Um, She gives her children every year. She quit buying gifts for them. Every year, she gives her children $12,500 for Christmas, because by law, by taxes, that's what she can give them, so they don't have to pay taxes on them. I asked her very humbly to adopt me, but (laughs) she said to me, Chris was getting ready to go on his missions trip, and... I said, why don't you call her and let's take her to coffee and just share what you're going to be doing in Nepal with her. I know she's a woman with a heart of compassion. And so we went to Starbucks. We sat there. He laid it all. I was so proud of him. He laid it all out on the table. He told her what he was doing, what it was going to cost, where he was going to be, how he was going to serve. And she looked at him and she said, I carry $200 cash in my pocket at all times. And I will give it to anybody that asked me for it, for their school, for their church, for missions, for a community project, and nobody ever asked. She said, you're the first person that's asked me to share it in their dream, to share in their compassion. She reached in her purse, she took out $200, she gave it to them and she said, not only am I going to give you $200, but I'm going to sponsor you the whole time you're in Nepal. There are women, there are people in our community that are just waiting for the ask. They're just waiting for you to share your vision. They're just waiting to see the compassion in your eyes and they will respond. We're part of a team. We're part of a bigger team than we can even imagine. We all like to read Proverbs 31 because it tells us, guys, it tells you what kind of wife you better be looking for. And I'm telling you, you better be looking for the Proverbs 31 woman because you've got to hang out with her for a long time. You better be sure she's a godly woman. You better be sure she's a woman who loves her family. You better be sure she's a woman that's industrious and a go-getter and, you know, give her a project, she's got it. You, but you better be sure she's a woman that loves God because beauty is fleeting We're all going to get old and our grandchildren are going to think we knew Adam, but that's okay. (sighs) You better find you a good one. But there's a part of that Proverbs 31 chapter that sometimes we kind of skip over. You know, we're giving the instructions to our son. This is kind of wife that you need to look for. But there's a little instruction for us gals in there too. And it says this in Proverbs 31, verses eight and nine. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. We sang the song this morning, He's Making Diamonds Out of Us. And some of us, diamonds are in different stages. Some of us are still a bunch of coal. Some of us are in that point that God is sharpening and is cutting away at us things so that we can glisten as He's planned for us. We are diamonds being raised up out of the dust, but we are able as a team To bring strength and dignity to women around the world. I want to ask my women's ministry leadership team if you'll come forward at this time. I wanted to give you a gift this year that wasn't just uh, chocolate or flowers, or, you know, we love those things. But I wanted to put something special in your hands, and our leadership team, we began to start praying about what we could do this year that was special for our moms and our sisters and our daughters. And in October, I was privileged to have the opportunity to go to an international women's luncheon in Springfield with a group called Convoy Women. And I sat there and listened as these women shared how God was changing third world countries through something very simple called micro-businesses. They take a woman who has been cast out, some just because they're a daughter, because they weren't even worthy of the king putting a death sentence on them. Some because they had not produced a son so their husbands cast them aside and they lived on the streets some because they have no education and convoy women is going in and helping these women learn basic businesses it may be something simple like raising chickens it may be something like baking bread for a restaurant It may be making jewelry, and then selling those in the market. I'm telling you, this took some doing, took some preparation to make happen, but we were able to get a bracelet from a micro-business for every one of you ladies today. So I'm gonna ask every lady in the room to stand. Mother, daughter, sister, princess, queen, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. Our ministry team has a bracelet for you. Just come and stand in this altar area. They're going to give this bracelet to you. We spent time this week praying over these bracelets so that when you put them on, they are not just a Mother's Day. Come on, every girl. I think we have enough even for our teenagers this morning. Come on up. Brianna, Jillian, come on girls. Stay here. We're going to pray. Stay here. We're going to pray over you ladies. I want you to watch a very short video clip from um, a lady that heads up the Convoy of Women ministry, and then I want to share something very special with you. So this year instead of giving you a gift that we could just run down to the corner and purchase what we paid for your gifts today is more than the equivalent of one year of salary for some of these women. We were able to put something in your hand that is not just a gift that says we love you and we do. And this leadership team and this staff at this church, we honor you women. We wanna see you thriving and being everything that God has planned for you to be. But I want you to wear this bracelet. And every time you look at it, I want you to think I'm part of a team. And not only am I a part of a team at Woodland, but I'm part of a team like Convoy Women that's changing the world for some women. And I want you to pray for whoever that girl was in that third world country who made your bracelet. God knows exactly who she was. God meet her needs today and help me to realize I'm part of a team. I am so excited. In 2019, Jeanette and I will be traveling to Tanzania to see how our team can be a part of their team. One of the things they've asked me to come and do is teach women in these businesses how to do a simple spreadsheet. What did I make? What came in? How much did it cost me? How much can I save? How much can I learn? Most of these women only have about a third grade education. So we're going to be able, and Jeanette and I are so excited. All the details haven't come together, but we are so excited because our plan is to come home and then take 10 to 12 of you ladies back to Tanzania and work one-on-one with these ladies and teach them what you know how to do. It might be sewing. It might be something very simple. It might be helping them start a business. We don't put cash in their hands. If they're gonna start a jewelry business, we bring them all the tools they need to start that business. If they're gonna to learn to make bread, we provide what they the pots, the fire, the whatever things that they need. We even buy chickens if it's necessary. And you're gonna be a part of that. And you're gonna change the world every time you look at that bracelet. You see, there's some things as a mom that I've never had to do. I've never had to look at my children and decide which one of them to feed today. I've never had to look at a handful of food and say, do I eat this so that I can work tomorrow and provide for my children tomorrow? Or do I divide it and feed my children and go hungry myself? One of the women that was at the convoy luncheon, and I wasn't gonna cry when I did this second service, she shared, how every night she would take her belt, her sash, and tie her daughters to her leg so that the human traffickers could not steal them away from her during the night. She would tie her daughters to her body. I've never had to do that. But I tell you what, I pray for that woman every day of my life. God, protect these girls from the traffickers. Protect these girls from those that would destroy them. God, raise us up as godly women who will not only care for our household, but who will cry out for our sisters around this world. I want you to hold that bracelet in your hand, and we're going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we've already prayed as leadership team over these bracelets and ask you to make them a reminder of the team that we're on. And your work, God, something greater than we can even imagine. And now, Father, I pray for each woman that will put these bracelets on their arm, God, that every time they will look at it, they will remember you are a God who does the miracles. You are a God who does amazing things. You are a God who takes a lump of clay and makes diamonds out of us. Father, that you are incredible and we are a part of your team. Remind us, O oh God, every day to pray for those women around the world in third world countries or Father, maybe even that are across the street from my house and are trying to decide how to feed their kids today. Make us women with open hearts and open purses of compassion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, ladies. Let's sing this again.
1: What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my
0: King. What a powerful name.
1: We thank you for the word that we have heard this morning God we thank you that you have given us women mothers daughters and grandmothers who love you we thank you Jesus for the challenge that Becky has brought to the ladies of our church but I'm challenged as a man as well Lord and I pray that every time we look upon these bracelets upon the arms or the wrists of our wives and our daughters that, God, we will be reminded to pray, to intercede, and to give, Lord Jesus, a part of our time, our day, our lives for these women around the world. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. Would you give Becky a hand this morning? I thought it was just a powerful, powerful message. Hallelujah. I have permission to share this, but recently a lady who crossed the line at our congregation, uh, she had read Proverbs 31, she'd heard Becky talk about a Proverbs 31 woman, and she came in one day to talk to me, she says, Pastor, I wasn't a Proverbs 31 woman. And I just let her kind of process, and then I looked at her and I told her what I think every one of you need to know after this message. When God forgives your sins, your past is washed away. God makes you a Proverbs 31 woman as you follow him. Our God is able. He's able, he's able, he's able. Let's give him another hand of praise this morning. Hallelujah.